you have your Bible, we're going to start off again in Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 23. And um, although I'm trying to use a verse from Proverbs as the key text, I'm, I'm uh, also trying to make an effort to take you in other places in the Bible so you'll know that I'm not just drawing these messages from uh, one passage of Scripture. Um, my responsibility, according to the Word of God, is to equip you um, to do the work of the ministry, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So these messages have not been really evangelistic in that sense. But hopefully they've been, they've been um, discipleship building. And um, I pray that God uses them to grow us up and help us become more effective witnesses so that we can do the work of his ministry um, in the world. I started this series a few weeks ago. And we'll take a break for Father's Day, I'm sure. But um, vice and virtue. Um, the Catholic Church had something years and years, decades, hundreds of years ago that they came up with this list of seven deadly sins and seven cardinal virtues, and it's kind of along those same lines, although I'm not following that specifically. Um, it's kind of along those same lines in that the, the early church fathers identified some root sins that were actually the source of all kind of other sins, that you could trace all other sins back to these common roots. Now, we can make a list this morning of sin as long as you want to make it. I mean, sins of commission, sins of omission, we can make long list of sins. But if you get down to the heart of those sins, it all boils down to some pretty common things that we let take root in our life. So those are vices. Vices are, are the fruits of all, or are the roots of all sin. The roots of all unrighteousness comes back to those vices. And then the virtues on the other side of that are the, are, are the common roots of all righteousness, of all goodness, of all the things that, that we want to see in our lives being manifested as children of God. So we've been talking about this vice and virtue for um, three weeks. This will be week four. And uh, we've considered pride and its opposite, humility. And, and I said this, and I'm not I'm bogged down in it again, but pride, I think, is the root of all sin, period. I think you can trace every sin that we're guilty of back to some point um, to our own pride that we think we know better than God does. And, um, and we exalt our own opinion and our own idea about the way that we ought to live or what we ought to do. We make ourselves God. We exalt ourselves above um, the position of God regarding sin. So everything goes, goes back to pride. The opposite of pride, of course, is humility. The Bible said God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that's when he can exalt us in his own way. Um, but humility is the antithesis of pride, and that's what we need to cultivate. Root out pride and cultivate humility in our lives. We talked about greed and his counterpart, generosity. And then last week we talked about envy. And, and I'm still a little bit conflicted about this, but envy and joy, there's no opposite word for envy. You, you, you come up with one and let me know. Um, but I look through all kind of lists of antonyms and all that kind of stuff, and I, you can't really nail down an opposite to envy. Um, but I do know what envy robs of us. It robs joy. And so if we can cultivate the joy of the Lord in our life, when we can rejoice over all of God's blessings for us and all of God's blessings for others, we can defeat that enemy of envy in our life. Today's text is the fourth vice that we're going to look at. If you look with me at Proverbs chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse 20, two verses, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. Be not among wine-bibbers, that are those who abuse alcohol, among riotous eaters of flesh, that's gluttonous eaters. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, drowsiness shall clothe the man 
with rags. So today I'm going to consider, we're going to consider the vice of gluttony. Now I could have preached this last week, but we had fifth Sunday dinner and I said I'm going to wait on it. Because <laughs> I didn't have my eyes on the dessert table <laughs> before the service even started. The older I get, the sweeter my tooth is. Um, <clears throat> then I forgot we had breakfast this morning. <laughs> And uh, I think you all proved that you're not gluttons when you left bacon on the table, all right? They was bacon on the table, so that proves there's still hope for all of us, all right? Uh, normally bacon is gone and, and, uh, and you left scraping the crumbs, but maybe we cooked enough this morning. Now we laugh about gluttony, and there's a reason for that, because it's probably the most tolerated vice among Christians today. Let's just be honest, all right? We, 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 we make jokes about it because we tend to have a tolerance of it in other people's lives and in our own life. It is probably, in the American version of Christianity, it is probably the least talked about vice that exists in our churches today. Um, Billy Graham said that um, it's a sin that most of us commit, but few of us mention. Ouch. So why don't we talk about it? Why don't, why don't, we, why don't we say more about gluttony? I'm going to tell you that when you start preaching about some of the capital sins of our culture today, I can tell you the finger that'll get pointed back at us a whole bunch is if you're going to talk about that sin, why don't you talk about gluttony? And it really is one of them positions where you just have to really take a step back and say, you know what, you got a point. Now, my sin doesn't excuse your sin. Your sin doesn't excuse mine. So that it's, a, it's a mute point for all of us when it comes right down to it. But a lot of times, because we refuse to talk about it, it becomes um, an anchor point for other people to justify their sin because we've justified gluttony um, in our own lives. So, so why don't we talk about it? Hypocrisy. I don't like talking about stuff I'm guilty of, especially when I know that I'm guilty of it because it makes me a hypocrite. Um, the, the other reason I think maybe we don't talk about it is that it's really kind of hard to nail it down, what gluttony is and what it isn't. It is. I hope this morning that we get a little bit better idea about gluttony is and what it isn't, but it is kind of hard to nail down, and there's not a whole lot of scriptures that specifically point at the sin of gluttony and call it gluttony. Um, we read one. There are some others. It's not the only verse in the scripture that speaks of it, but when you look for jealousy, you can spend a long time in there. When you look at pride, you can, there are verses all over the Bible about pride and humility. When you look at greed, that's full. Scriptures are full. But when you get to gluttony, it's not as common for us to find those things um, in Scripture. And I'm, a, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you this morning. Um, we have, most of us have pretty weak convictions about it. So we stay away from it. Now, gluttony is a lot like greed, but there are two. I, I thought about this all week. That sounds, it sounds a whole lot like greed, but it really isn't. Greed, you can just hoard stuff up and be greedy. And greedy is primarily about, about financial resources. And it's not necessarily that you're cons consuming those resources, but you're just heaping them up. And, and it's cutting off your generosity to others. Now, there may be a little bit of that involved in gluttony, but gluttony is not just about having something. Gluttony is about consuming something. It's not just about hoarding, it's about, it's about partaking. So it's a little different from greed in that, in, in that respect, but um, it's worth us talking about this morning. It's worth us 
um, confronting it in our own life, it's worth us trying to root it out and to replant something in its place that will make our lives more productive in the fruits of righteousness. So the vice of gluttony, what is it? I'm going to do like I always do and start out with Webster's definition. And then I'm going to do like I did last week and disagree with Webster, all right? And I'm going to make it a point to disagree with Webster the last two weeks. But Webster just says gluttony is the habit or act of eating too much. Now, that may be the way that we define it today, but I don't believe that's the biblical definition of the term. Um, the act or habit of eating too much. And now, here's, this, here's one of the reasons that we ignore the vice of gluttony because we make it only apply to food. And I think gluttony applies to more to food and, and, and to more than just drink. And so let me give you a little better definition that's not quite as narrow. It is overindulgence in any fleshly pleasure, substance, or activity. So we're not talking about food or drink. We're talking about an overindulgence in anything that's fleshly, in any kind of pleasure, in any kind of substance, or in any kind of activity. It's, it's, it's overdoing it in those sensual pleasures, what you see, what you taste, what you touch, what you smell. It's just an overindulgence of the flesh. It's trying, to, it's trying to satiate an insatiable appetite that we have uh, in our flesh. Just to give you a few bullet point characteristics of what gluttony looks like, uh, it is appetite out of control. These are some simpler definitions. It is appetite, fleshly appetite that has gotten out of control. It is consuming more than required. Ouch. Now, here's the truth. If we get up from the table and we say, mm, I shouldn't have ate so much. Yeah, that's gluttony. And I'm going to tell you, last Sunday afternoon, I binged on sugar. I can tell you what sugar would do for you. It will jack you up and then it will crash you out. And so last Sunday afternoon, I was like, I am wiped out. And it was that sugar load. It ran its course and then it left me stranded. Of course, I could fix that pretty easy, but... Then I was guilty again, <laughs> consuming more than required. But here's the thing I think that it means the most, and this is what I'm going to concentrate on. To be mastered by your cravings. That's gluttony. To be mastered by your fleshly cravings. To let those things dictate um, how you live your life. And using that definition, I don't know that we're as guilty as some people want to make us be. It's easy to throw out an accusation of gluttony, and we'll get it out a little bit later. But, but to be gluttonous literally means that you are mastered by your appetite for fleshly things and that you let those things control your life. Let me, let me, just, let me quickly point out a few things that it is not. Gluttony is not being overweight. There are kind of reasons why folks are overweight. Some of it has to do with metabolism issues that are, that are biological. I don't know. I won't tell you that my, this ain't a pulpit blister. <laughs> I, I didn't get this by rubbing back and forth on the pulpit up here. This came because I ate too much. And I ate at the wrong times and ate the wrong stuff, all right? But that in and of itself doesn't make me a glutton um, because I'm overweight. In fact, y'all know the lady named Sonia Thomas? Little bitty. South Korean lady ate 47 hot dogs in 10 minutes. She ain't overweight. She's a glutton. It ain't about being overweight. It ain't, it ain't really about eating bad foods. I can take you to Nehemiah, and they said, eat the fat and drink the sweet and give it to somebody that don't have it. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. It ain't necessarily about eating food that they say is bad for you, although you can overdo that and be guilty of gluttony. It's not about enjoying a good meal like we did last Sunday, like we did this morning. It's not about enjoying a good meal, and it's not about having extra portions of that meal as long as you know when to restrain. Um, I remember one time going to, I was preaching a revival over in Cairo, and the old pastor there, I, I can't, I've been trying to remember his name for the last two weeks. It's been 10 years or more ago since I've been there. He's a World War II veteran, a machiner, a tail gunner on a, on a, on a bomber in World War II. And uh, we went to eat at a buffet one day, and son, my eyes overloaded my stomach like, I mean, I loaded up, everything on that buffet looked good. And I piled it on and piled it on and piled it on. And then when I sat down and started to eat, I, I ate until I was nearly sick. And I pushed my plate back, and he looked at me and said, you ain't going to eat the rest of that? I said, I'm full. He said, you shouldn't have got more than you can eat. Now, I didn't even want to preach that night after he did that to me. <laughs> but he had a point. You know, I have, I, have, I have added and added and added until I can't even consume it. Now, I probably could have made myself do it and, and, and truly been sick. But basically, gluttony is the absence of self-control. And we're going to get a little deeper to that in a minute. But gluttony is the absence of self-control. It is, one, one guy that I read said, it is unrestrained overconsumption. Now, you can be guilty of gluttony by eating too much or drinking too much. That's the truth. And I have been, and probably all of us have been. And we ought not to make light of it. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I need to do much better in this area. Um, but now here's the truth about my life. I can get up and not eat anything, which is probably the worst thing in the world to do. I don't eat breakfast and I don't eat lunch. But when it's supper time, woo-wee, I don't stop eating from the time I get home to the time I go to bed. That's gluttony. And I, I know that I can spend too much time at the table. Um, it, but it, but, but we can, you can be guilty of gluttony just by unrestrained eating or drinking. You can also be guilty of gluttony by unrestrained entertainment. You are, you are feeding your flesh. When, when your flesh wants to be entertained, you can't get enough of it. Now, we can sit around and point fingers at each other. You spend too much time on the TV. Well, you spend too much time on Facebook. Ouch. Being, being eaten alive by entertainment is gluttony. It is a lack of self-control. Now, I think even the producers of the technology that we have have become aware that, that too much of that is not a good thing. I mean, they're telling us now that too much screen time, whether it's television screen time or social media screen time or too much game time, even the people that are producing this stuff are warning you that if you do that too much... It causes all kinds of problems, physically, psychologically. It disconnects you. That's, the, that's, the, that's what gluttony does. It wants to attach you to fleshly things until it destroys you. I think my phone uh, will give me um, at the end of the... In fact, I think it does it on Sunday mornings. It's a good day to convict me of gluttony, how much screen time you've had during the week. Now, I know some of you think all I do is sit and look at my phone all day and think something's tight. That ain't true. <laughs> but but I, if, if the Lord puts it on my heart, I'm going to share it with you, all right? <clears throat> Those things, too much entertainment, just gluttony, unrestrained extravagance. Um, I remember in one of C.S. Lewis's books, The Screw Tape Letter, he talked about a lady who prided herself on not being gluttonous, a real thin lady, 
but she would go to a, a, a banquet and, and she would refuse all the food that they had and she would, uh, she would ask for a little piece of toast that was, um, that was slightly crisp but not burnt, on the, but not burnt and, and a little bit of sweet tea but not too much sweetness, just a tad. And, and, and she, she had to have it just right before she would consume it. That could be considered a form of gluttony. See, as Lewis said that in his book, it's just different. It's just taking a different form. You've been, you've been consumed by that particular appetite of extravagance. I got to have it this way or I can't have it at all. I, y'all watch the Alaska program? I like the, the dudes in Alaska that are, that are living off the grid. And I saw one another night. He was, he been, he's the one that hiked 300-something miles to some land that he bought that he ain't never seen before. Y'all watch it. Dude caught a beaver. Now, my friend, he's beaver, he, he's, I mean, and I've tasted it, and it ain't bad. But it was cooked in a pot full of taters and carrots and gravy and all that kind of stuff. This dude cooked a beaver on a stick over the fire with no salt and pepper and talked about how good it was. I don't think he's a glutton. Because I'd have said, I'll take mine with salt and pepper. Over easy would, you know, so you can be guilty of extravagance and be a glutton. You can be a glutton just by unrestrained expenditure of the resources God has blessed you with. Now, that could be shopping. Y'all going to pick on me, I'm going to pick on you. Y'all know we throw away more as Americans than most of the rest of the world is consuming. I mean, our closets are jam-packed full of stuff. And we'll have, we'll, you know, this is, a, this is a thing on social media now. We'll have a closet clean-out and, and sell the stuff that we paid $50 for for a nickel so we can go buy some more stuff. And then that whole buggy load of stuff goes down to the Goodwill. But the, the, the taking the, of the resources that God has given to us and wasting them on frivolous things because we're trying to satiate our appetite for fleshly things. What does gluttony do to us? It consumes us. Gluttony consumes us. While we're consuming stuff, gluttony is consuming us. While we're consuming, while our appetites are allowed to run free, gluttony itself consumes us. It allows the lust of our flesh to become our primary pursuit, and that in and of itself is a form of idolatry. Let me say that again. It allows the lust of our flesh to become our primary pursuit. Mm, I got to have that because it tastes good. I got to have that because it looks good. I got to have that because it smells good. I got to have that. I got to have that. I got to have that because it appeals to my senses. That is the pursuit of fleshly things above everything else. And, and it consumes us. It, 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 it is a form of idolatry. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19. I don't have time to read the whole context, but this is that passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul is talking about. I hadn't arrived at the place I want to arrive at, but I keep putting things behind me and pressing forward to things before me. He kept, he kept talking about how I'm pursuing um, the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. But then he, he opposed that with another passage of Scripture and talked about some folks who said, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now what Paul was talking about was people who were living for the flesh, not living for Christ. They had set their belly, they had set their fleshly lust up as their God and they set their mind on earthly things rather than on heavenly things. So instead of a spiritual and eternal focus, gluttony makes us focus on those fleshly and temporal things of this life. 
It's not, a, it's not a sin for us to have things that we enjoy. It's not a sin for us to have things that are, that are good for us, that are pleasant for us. It is a sin for us to get so fixated on the fleshly and the temporal that we ignore the spiritual and eternal. Amen. And that's possible for us to do. Now listen, I'm, I ain't preaching just to you. I'm preaching to me as well. It's a lot easier for me to get up in the mornings and pick up my phone and say, let me see what Facebook says today than it is to pick up the Word of God and say, let me see what the Lord said, said today. That's a, that is a focus on fleshly temporal, not spiritual eternal. Now, you can, use, you can use those things of the world like Facebook and social media for the glory of God, and we ought to be doing that, I think, but, but we can't get so fixated on that on those temporary fleshly things that we neglect the spiritual and eternal things. It's a whole lot easier for us to plop down in front of a television and spend two hours binging on a net. There's a reason we call it binge. It's gluttony of entertainment. But, but we can spend two, three hours watching a series of shows on on Netflix and we can't spend 15 minutes on our knees before God in prayer. Because we say we don't have time. Now see, that's where we're guilty. That's where, it's, that's where it begins to hit home with us. We waste so much of what God has given us on a temporal, fleshly focus that we don't have time for the spiritual and eternal. That's why it becomes a root sin. Because when we start neglecting those spiritual and eternal matters, we start allowing other fruits to blossom in our life. And gluttony is the root of that. Here's some, here's some products of its consumption of us when it changes our focus. We lose sight of the future. When, when, you, get, when you get caught up in the flesh, your flesh lives for the moment. We understand that, don't we? That when we get caught up in the flesh, we're, we're interested in what's going to satisfy us in the next 15 minutes. And not what it's going to do to us in the next 15 years. So it, 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 it literally, you lose sight of the future, you sacrifice the greater for the lesser. The greater good for the lesser pleasure. And, and there's all kinds of ways you can illustrate this, but I'm trying not to get bogged down because I need to move on from this. Um, I'll give you last Sunday's illustration. I knew what them sweets were going to do to me, and I'm telling you, for 10, 15 minutes of pleasure with a fork, I felt miserable for about two or three hours. Sunday afternoon. So you sacrifice the greater. We sacrifice our health for this. Now, I'm, I'm about to be 55 years old, and I can tell you, aches and pains starting to be a daily occurrence now. I'm just glad they keep, they're moving around right now. They're not settling in any given place, but they, 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 they're there. I know that they're there. I don't feel like, I remember days where I could tell people I don't hurt at all. I can't tell you that no more. But one of the reasons I can't tell you that is not I've not taken care of myself like I need to take care of myself because I've been guilty of gluttony. We sacrifice the greater for the lesser. When we get, when we get focused on those fleshly temporal things, we serve ourselves instead of God and others. Because we're fixated on pleasing ourselves, we lose sight of what we ought to be doing to please God and what we ought to be doing to serve other people. 
And then lastly, we sabotage our own well-being. I'm not going to bog down that. You know, we, we, when we get fixated on those things, we sabotage our own well-being. And then we'll keep going back doing the same things over and over again. And it affects us physically. It affects us mentally. It affects us emotionally. I remember a, a couple years ago when I had that season where I was battling some pretty major anxiety and panic attacks. And I hid it pretty well from you. I didn't hide it from my wife and some other folks that were close to me. But I remember one of those nights when I was sitting in my office at, at midnight trying to overcome that, that, that anxiety and that panic. And the Lord said, if you turn that news off, if you just turn the news off, because I was infatuated with finding out what was going on in the world and making a comment about it. I mean, I was infatuated with, with that 24-hour, 7-day-a-week, 365-days-a-year news cycle that was negative. It was eating me alive. It was messing me up mentally. And I have turned the news off. I don't listen to Fox. I don't listen to anything. I read enough to keep up with what's going on. But I'm not going to inundate my ears and my eyes and my mind with that negativity day in and day out because it affects my long-term well-being. I'm sabotaging myself. And, hey, listen to me. Um, you kids, I know there are kids today that can't even carry on a conversation with an adult and look him eye to eye because they're so addicted to the technology that's in their hand. They walk around with that in front of their faces. You, they can't sit at a table and carry on a conversation with you. They can't do anything. They have sabotaged their own well-being. When they go for a job interview and that, that man wants them to look them in the eye and tell us, you tell me what your qualification, you tell me why I ought to hire you. If those kids can't look that man in the eye, they're not going to do well. We're sabotaging ourselves because we're caught up in, the, in that vice. Feeding our flesh rather than crucifying it. Luke chapter 15 verse 13, the Bible said the prodigal son wasted his life with riotous living. He wasted his life with riotous living. That's wasteful, overindulgent living. That's the prodigal son. I'm just going to feed my flesh until he wound up in the hog pen. And then there was nothing that could satisfy him there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 13, I'm going to read the New Living Translation of that verse. The Apostle Paul's having this argument with the Corinthians about the liberty that they had in Christ, the things that they were free to do. And, and, and the Apostle Paul said, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Just because you're allowed to do it, don't mean that it's good for you to do it. And he said, and even though I'm allowed to do anything, he's putting these in quotations, even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. That's good. That's good teaching. You can eat. You shouldn't be a slave to eating. You can watch television, but you, could, you shouldn't become a slave to entertainment. You can go buy a nice dress, but you shouldn't be consumed by the quest for what everybody else has. There's a lot of things that we can do that we're allowed to do, but when we let those things consume us, then we become a slave to those things. Verse 13, you say, food was made for the stomach. And the stomach for food, this is true. Though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. Now he, from this verse on, he starts talking about some sexual immorality. 
But if you look at the whole context of what Paul's saying there, you can also say this. I'm not, I'm not twisting God's word. I'm not trying to change what it says. Paul is making an argument right now that you ought not to. He used the same argument in, in, in Galatians. You ought not to use your liberty as an occasion to serve your flesh, but you ought to use your liberty as an occasion to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He set you free from sin. Don't become a slave then to your flesh. So you, you can say... You can say food was made for the stomach and the, and the stomach was made for food, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. You can also say but our bodies were not made for gluttony. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. In fact, he called our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Now, I'm going to give you a few biblical illustrations and we're going to move on. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. You know what the devil did to Eve in the garden? He appealed to her senses. He appealed to pride. Oh, God, you're not, you're not going to die. You're just going to be like God. But he also appealed to her senses. Because when Eve looked at the tree, she said, Tastes good? Looks good? Maybe she said, Looks like it tastes good. And on top of all that, it's going to make me wise. Now, let me try this. Now, you've got to understand what God told Adam and Eve. He set them in a garden full. And listen, I've got to believe the Garden of Eden didn't have no weeds in it. I mean, you had, you had every kind of fruit imaginable, known to man, that was good for food. The Bible said that it was good for food. He gave them everything. The Bible said they didn't lack anything. They had everything they needed to sustain their life. And I imagine it all tasted good. But they saw the one thing God said, no, nah, not that. And then those senses kicked in. It looks good. Probably tastes good. I got to have it. The original sin had to do with pride it had to do with a sensual temptation. Genesis chapter 25, verse 34. Esau went out hunting. He came home, and he is about to starve to death. I mean, that's what he said. And I've said that before, too. I'm telling you, them little Totina's pizzas have saved me from starvation several times. I don't know why they made them square. I still ain't figured that out, but... Y'all been in that place where you used it, your stomach's eating, your backbone, I got to have something to eat. Well, Esau came home from hunting. He's like, I'm about to starve. And his brother Jacob had a pot of soup going. Lentils, peas. Probably wasn't even no ham in there. Because they Jews. Just vegetable soup, no meat. And, and Jacob said, I'll give you a pot of soup for your birthright. Esau said, that birthright ain't going to good if I started there. That's what he said. I'm about to perish. Now, y'all know Esau wasn't about to start death. But he let that fleshly desire, he lost the greater for the lesser. He had the birthright. He was the oldest son. He had the, the primary inheritance of his father. He sold his birthright. For a morsel of meat, um, uh, not even meat, vegetables. 
sold it out. It was, this, it was his desire to fulfill his flesh that made him sell out his birthright. Numbers chapter 11, verse 33. We studied Numbers chapter 12 last week when, uh, on Wednesday night talking about the whole envy thing. But in Numbers chapter 11, them folks started complaining about the bread God was giving them. Manna, heaven, bread sent from heaven. Now, it, honestly, when they described the taste of it in the Bible, it kind of tastes, kind of sounded like honey graham crackers to me, which is pretty good. But you know what they couldn't? They said, we tired of this bread. We had meat in Egypt. We had cucumbers in Egypt. We had this in Egypt. We had that in Egypt. Yeah, and they was beating the tar out of you every day. But all they could think about was how good the food was in Egypt. We eating bread every day. And God said, you, 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 send, them, you send them out in the morning, and I, I'm going I'm to provide some meat for you. And the Bible said that God sent a wind and delivered them quail. And them quail was flying about three foot off the ground, and 600,000 men went out and began to catch quail. And the Bible said the least of them caught ten homers, which if I, if I looked it up right and did my math right, it's about 50 bushels of quail. That was the least amount that one man caught. 600,000 of them. And they plucked those quail and started laying them out to dry so they could have meat. And the Bible said while the flesh was in their teeth, while they were chewing it, the wrath of God was kindled against them. And he smote them with a plague. And they began to die. What was wrong with them? They were gluttons. You know, they tried to even be gluttonous with the bread. They tried to hoard it up so they could have more. And God said, I'm giving you your daily bread. I didn't, I didn't give you the bread from heaven so you could become gluttonous. I gave you the bread from heaven to sustain your life day by day by day, not to feed your flesh. So God gave them that quail and they plumped sick from eating it and died. And by the way, the valley that they named those people in, I can't, I can't pronounce the Hebrew name, but I did look it up, and it literally means graves of gluttony. God meant he was going to take that vice of gluttony out of the heart of his people. Our early church fathers viewed gluttony as a doorway for other sins to enter into our life and corrupt us spiritually. A doorway sin, a gateway for other things to come in and take hold of us. He mentioned one of them in, the, in Proverbs, the drunkard and the glutton come to poverty and drowsiness. That's Sloth, and we're going to talk about that probably later on. Laziness is a, is a fruit of gluttony. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with a broken down wall. You know what a city with a broken down wall does? It lets anything and anybody in. A city with a broken down wall is open season if a man has no self-control then a lot of stuff can creep in and corrupt so what what can we do about gluttony we talked about what it is we talked about what it does now can, what, what can we do about it well let me say this let's eat <laughs> y'all didn't laugh at that but I thought it was funny I stumbled across this acronym, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. And it'll help us remember it because we talk about gluttony, and we always associate gluttony with eating, although it, 
encompasses a lot of things. But here's the acronym. Enjoy your blessings. God gives us good things in life to enjoy. Amen. But he does not want us to make those blessings our God. You've heard this said before. I know it's cliche. Don't give more glory to the gift than you do the giver. Enjoy what God has given you. Don't let it become your master. The second one's a little bit different. It's a little harder. Let other people hold you accountable. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't like that. I remember one time, I, I need to hurry, but let, let me, my, my wife one time, I, we, we do this thing, we have done this thing, we don't make it a regular occurrence because it's painful, all right? But, but in, an effort, in an effort to strengthen our marriage, we said, let's every now and then just ask the question, what is it about me that gets on your nerves the most? What do I need to straighten out in my life? What do I need to work on? Because quite honestly, I can't see it sometimes as good as somebody else can. Let's just be honest, that's the truth. I think I got it all going on until somebody tells me I don't. And most people I can ignore, but I can't ignore my wife. She knows me better than anybody else does. So I, I, we were sitting on the couch, and I had my arm around her, you know, and I'm saying, so tell me what I need to work on, babe. What is it about me right now that gets on your nerves the most? <laughs> she said, I hate your phone. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what I, what I did right away. I'm like, baby, I had, I, that's ministry. I had to do ministry. She's like, everything you do on that phone ain't ministry. <laughs> I said, doggone, you done hurt me now, wounded me. But she is right. She's like, I want you to focus on me some, not the phone. Just put it. And so we made this deal, and, and, and it helped break some things. Because it's easy to get caught up in that. But we, we had this deal where 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., we don't pick our phones up unless somebody's calling us, unless something is urgent that has to be taken care of. We're not playing games. We're not doing social media. She's home by 7. I'm usually home by 7. Um, after 7 in the morning, she's going her way. I'm going my way. So that was time that we needed for each other. But she, she held me accountable. She pointed that out in my life. And, and sometimes we need people to hold us accountable for how much of our life is being consumed. Y'all know what? I didn't. That old, that old World War II veteran in that restaurant at that buffet, that joker hurt me now. I'm, I still remember. I remember that till I die. But you know what I do when I go to a buffet? I don't load my plate like that anymore. I ain't toting three plates. I, I, you know what? I, you go to B-Max and you toting three plates back because you scared something ain't going to be there when you come back or you scared you ain't going to be able to move enough to get back for plate number two? That's gluttony. And, and I've learned. I mean, he taught me some things. I don't have to eat until I'm full. I don't have to eat until I'm full. I want to, but I don't have to. And I know that if I, if I will just eat what is sufficient for me, I'm not going to feel horrible when I'm done with it. Account to others. Some, sometimes we just need people to ask us the question, ain't that enough? And I'm going to tell you, you're going to make me mad when you ask me that. 
But it's all right. You love me. Train your body. And this is where I'm going to take a turn and we're going to close it out. Make the choice between being in control or being controlled. Train your body. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So, if, if, you, if you want the opposite of gluttony, I would say it's moderation. All right. If you want the polar opposite of what gluttony is, it's moderation. Let everything you do be done in moderation. Eat moderately, drink moderately, spend a moderate amount of time in front of the television, spend a moderate amount of time shopping, spend a moderate... If, if you do these things in moderation, you're not committing any sin. But you know what it requires to be moderate? It requires self-control. If you're going to do some things in moderation, then you've got to be in control. You can't let it be in control. And the only way that we can be in control is to put on the virtue of temperance. That's the last fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. It's the last in the list, but it's not the last in importance. Temperance is self-control. And, and to define it a little bit more specifically, temperance is self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it ain't about me getting control of myself. It's allowing the Holy Spirit of God to bring me into check and, and reining in my fleshly lust. Self-control by the Spirit's control. Ultimately, we always, have, we always have a choice. We can yield to the lust of our flesh or we can crucify them. We can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Bible says we won't fulfill the lust of our flesh. And we will do what we do. We will enjoy God's blessings, but we'll do them in moderation. We won't let them master us. We won't let them bring us into into slavery. That's how we replant the virtue of temperance. Let the Holy Spirit bring us to that place of moderation. Temperance is a strong ally, by the way. Having self-control help you in a lot of areas of temptation. Being able to bring your fleshly lust under control will help you beat any addiction that comes your way. Now, here's an interesting fact that I didn't know till I started studying some of this. You know the only man that was outrightly accused of being a glutton in the Bible? Jesus. Now there's some gluttons in there, don't get me wrong. But the only one in the Bible outrightly accused of being a glutton is Jesus. Why? I'm going to challenge you to do something. Read through the Gospels. Jesus' life was filled with feast. Fish fries. Fellowship around a table with other believers where food was being consumed. Stories about food. Miracles that involve food. And these Pharisees made this accusation. They said, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Jesus is talking about what they said about him. He said, I came eating and drinking. And you look at me and say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. A friend of publicans and sinners, yes. A glutton and a wine-bibber, no. Jesus, of all men, 
had himself under complete control. He enjoyed life's blessings, including eating good friends, eating good food with eating good friends, <laughs> eating good food with his family, and with his friend. No, he wasn't a cannibal. He might have been. They might accuse him of being glutton, but never a cannibal. <clears throat> there ain't anywhere in Scripture that says that, 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 can, that can prove to you that Jesus was overindulgent. He enjoyed a meal with his friends. He turned the water into wine at the wedding, the first miracle that he ever performed, but he wasn't a wine-bibber. Nobody was ever more temperate than Jesus was, and I can prove it by one thing. Not only is there no record in Scripture, but here's the other thing. Before he ever went into his ministry, the Bible said the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, and he fasted. The Bible said Jesus didn't eat anything or drink anything for 40 days. Now, I don't recommend any of us trying that. But Jesus was a self, he was controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. He fasted 40 days. And the Bible says this, afterwards he was hungry. And what did the devil do? The devil came along and said in Luke 4, 3, If thou be the Son of God, I know you're hungry. You ain't ate or drank 40 days. If you're the Son of God... Command this stone that it be made bread. And here's what the self-controlled, spirit-controlled Jesus said in Luke 4.4. 4. It's written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's self-control. That's temperance. Jesus was never a glut nor a wine-bibber. He could say no to the flesh any time, for any reason. In fact, when the disciples came and found him at the well by that woman that time, he looked like he'd been refreshed, and they said, where'd you get some food? Where'd you eat? Where'd you drink? Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of the Father. He was consumed by the spiritual and the eternal, not the temporal, fleshly. So let me just summarize it like this. Vice and virtue. Gluttony is overindulgence of the flesh. Temperance is spiritual self-control. Overindulgence of the flesh. And spiritual self-control. Which one has control of you? If we, if we can ask ourselves some hard questions, we can identify the things in our life that we're being guilty of gluttony in. You, you may pass the test for food. Or drink. But that's not the only area you can be guilty in. You know what we have a tendency to do? Uh, you get a gluttony. You've got a, you, that pulpit blister. <laughs> that, that Dunlap disease. Where your belly Dunlaps over your belt. You, you. But, but, but listen, that don't mean you ain't guilty of the same thing. We get that, that whole... You point one finger and you got three more pointing back at yourself. So ask yourself some hard questions. What captures your heart and mind? The Bible says to set, our, to set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Our heart and mind ought to be captivated by Christ. What captures our heart and our mind? What consumes your waking hours?
what controls your level of happiness. Because, see, anything, fleshly pursuits, all of them can become an addiction. And anytime anything of this world becomes an addiction, we've become a glutton. Do you understand that? Anytime things of this world become an addiction, we've become a glutton. If you want to overindulge, if we want to overindulge in anything, it needs to be in our pursuit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with this passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. Oh, everyone that is thirsty, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And he asked a question in verse 2. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. There's reason Jesus said, I'm the water of life. I'm the bread of life. He said, you drink this water, you won't be thirsty again. If you eat this bread, you won't be hungry again. Now he's talking in spiritual terms, but he's, I think in, in Isaiah chapter 55 and in what Jesus said about being the water of life, the fountain of life, and the bread of life is that, our, 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 our appetite for fleshly things, gluttony, cannot fill the hole in our soul. You know what Solomon said? I wanted women singers, so I got women singers. I wanted men singers, so I got women uh, men singers. I wanted wine, so I got wine. I wanted meat, so I got meat. I wanted gold, so I got gold. I wanted silver, so I got silver. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity and vexation of the Spirit. Hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. King Solomon tried to fill the hole in his soul with the things of the world. It won't ever work. That's what Isaiah 55 says. Why are you wasting your time and your resources on the things that will never satisfy you? Come to me. That's where you'll find your happiness. That's where you'll find your joy. That's where you'll find your peace. That's where you'll find your, your self-control. Only Jesus can satisfy. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for your word. It's been, I'm sure, as uncomfortable for some of us to hear as it has been for me to preach. I said from the very beginning, one of the reasons we don't talk about it often is because we feel hypocritical. And I do. I have. And I confess, Lord, this morning, I don't have the level of conviction that I need about it. Maybe I had it one time, and I've hardened my heart because I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want anybody to ask me that question. It's not enough.
Lord, you don't want us to be mastered by anything except our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever it is this morning, we're all at different places. We all struggle in different ways, but help us to get a hold of this vice of gluttony and just pull it up. Expose the root. I know in the course of this message this morning, Lord, you've convicted me of some things that I spend far too much time, far too much energy and effort. And while I'm doing that, I'm neglecting some more needful things. Feeding my flesh more than I'm feeding my spirit, and that's a recipe for disaster. So by your Holy Spirit this morning, I just pray that you'd convict us and convince us, expose the vice, help us to take the axe to that root like John the Baptist said. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, that we can replant that virtue of temperance, that the Holy Spirit would help us to gain control those areas of our life that are out of control. Don't let us be like a city that's walls are broken down. I pray that you would just have your will and your way in this time of invitation and and beyond this, Lord. Our life, our, our, our walk with you is a walk of daily repentance. And, and so just a minute of prayer here at the altar isn't going to fix what's wrong with us. Help us to take it out of this building. Take it home with us. Let it change us. Not just for, a, just for a day or a week or a month, but for the rest of our lives. Let it change us, God. Just have your will and your way in this invitation. And give you praise for it in Jesus' name.